Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Born and raised in the diverse city of Mumbai, India, Karthika later moved to the U.S. At the same time that her beloved mother fell ill several years ago, Karthika was experiencing a personal renaissance as she transitioned from a career in computer science to photography. When Karthika traveled back to India to care for her mother, she entered a period of self-reflection. And out of this search for identity was born her enlightening podcast and captivating website, both named Culturally Ours. Karthika touches on all of these things in this episode, but most especially, she shares memories of her mother, with whom Karthika shared the calm, peaceful morning hours for years. During these sweet hours, Karthika's mom cooked, Karthika studied, and they both drank together from a bottomless pot of chai masala. Could a memory be any sweeter? Welcome, Karthika. I really got lost in your website, and I finally actually had to. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But I hope you didn't mean lost as in a good way. <laughs> yes. And I actually had to stop myself. I could have just kept adding and adding and adding questions. And I really had to limit myself and step back and say, we're talking about Karthika's story. You got to stick to that, you know. And, uh, no, but your website is beautiful and it's so informative and it covers so many arenas, but it ties them together so well. I love your website. I oh, love thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot because, you know, I'm seeing it on the inside and I'm like, okay, does this relate? Is this relevant? Is this appropriate? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's wonderful. And when it comes to culture, what's not relevant, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, I guess that's where I kind of stem from. It's such a big part of who I am. You know, I just don't have one cultural influence. I have a lot of different cultural influences, even though I'm Indian and now I live here. Um, and, you know, my kids are born here. And so it's yeah. just, it's such a dichotomy for me that I was constantly struggling with. Like, um, it's just life. And you can't just say it's culture is only food or culture is only this or, you know, only that. It's, it's the whole gamut of emotions and feelings and everything tangible and intangible, right? Mm. Yes, that's so well said. And I think the challenge that you and I come up against, we're trying to almost quantify or describe what is intangible, Absolutely. right? Let's talk about the roots here, right? So you you did begin your life in India. Yes, I okay. have been born and brought up in uh, Bombay. I know people call it Mumbai, but um, I will always call it Bombay because that's how, you know, that's how I grew up. Um, but my parents are actually from the southern part of India. So oh. my whole like maternal and paternal side is from Chennai, which is in the southern part of India. So we are actually South Indians, but uh, like I said, born and brought up in, in Bombay. And India is such a multicultural, mm. diverse place. Even even within Indians, you have so yes. much of diversity. <laughs> and we live, most of us live in apartments because of just space and the mm -hmm. fact that it's, you know, one billion people. Um, so individual homes are not that popular. Mm. And being a very societal culture, you are very much 
sometimes in your face um, <laughs> with your neighbor, with your friend, with the people in the building. So your neighbor could be somebody from eastern part of India. Your other neighbor mm-hmm. could be somebody from the southern part of India. And doors are pretty much open most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you get food, you get culture, you get uh, festival influences. It's just, it's mm-hmm. such a big mosaic. Um, mm. And I, I, I struggle with the word sometimes mosaic versus melting pot because melting pot, I feel, and this is not my phrase. One of my guests actually said this to me and I thought mm. it was so relevant. Melting pot, pot is when we all get together and it becomes a big mishmash. Mm-hmm. Um, but a mosaic is when each piece kind of fits, right? But it still retains it, its individuality. Ooh. Right. And the whole thing is so beautiful. And I feel that's what Indian society and Indian culture is. We have all these individual paths, but together it's such a beautiful fabric of society. Um, I miss it. (laughs) Mm. What I find looking back and thinking back is that we were so multicultural, even though we didn't know what that, what that word was Mm -hmm. and what that word meant. Like I grew up in a, um, a colony of uh, many different, you know, apartment buildings. So it was about, I don't know, I would say a thousand, over a thousand uh, families. And living in Bombay, uh, Bombay is such a multicultural city and it's the financial capital of India. So a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of migrant community comes into places like Bombay and Delhi because for okay. work and for, you know, for life, like right. lifestyle and all of that. Um, so we were always surrounded by people of different ethnicities and different cultures. And it was just, it was just life. It was, you know, okay. we like we would celebrate every festival together. Mm. Wasn't that, oh, this is yours and this is mine and mm-hmm. you, know, you can't be a part of it or I can't be a part of, of your celebration. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, so first of all, I did not know, <laughs> forgive me for my ignorance, I did not know that Bombay and Mumbai were the same place. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the names in India um, came from the British okay. rule, and then you know there was a whole movement of um, nationalizing, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the names went back to our traditional names. So Mumbai um, is actually named after one of the like a Mumbai Devi goddess. Um, okay, and a lot of a lot of Indian names are related to gods and goddesses. <laughs> Hindu, Hindu gods and yeah, goddesses. Hindu, go- yeah, Hindu gods and goddesses. So uh, I think you know the the movement is definitely pro Hinduism and uh, more Indianism. I, I shouldn't say Hinduism, more Indianism. Yeah. Yeah, although, like you said, the two are kind of almost inextricably linked. Indianism and Hinduism are inextricably linked. Um, I don't know if I would say that. An Indian could be a Christian, an Indian could sure. be a Hindu, an Indian could be a Muslim. So for me, um, an Indian is just somebody who's from India, has roots okay. in India. Hinduism is more like my my um, my religion. Um, okay. Okay. You know, I my parents were very religious and um, for generations have been. So for me, um, Hinduism is just what faith I believe in and, you know, mm-hmm. what sort of God I pray to and, and all of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would I separate it that way. OK, that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. OK, so you talked about some of the traditions that you celebrated in this vibrant capital when you were young. So do you have any favorites? And I would love to know, especially I'm thinking they were very closely connected with food. 
Yes, absolutely. We, <laughs> we we Indians love our food. Indian cuisine is so diverse. And again, mm. celebrating Diwali in South India is very different to celebrating Diwali in North India, which is very different to celebrating yeah. Diwali in East India. That so is so the, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the flavors, the spices, the, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. ingredients and all of that, right? The, the underlying theme might be very similar or the same, mm-hmm. but it's just the foods and the the rituals might be a little different. So, for example, mm-hmm. Diwali is, you know, it's the most important sort of <laughs> uh, festival for Indians. It's okay. like our New Year. Uh, it's a okay. festival of lights. And it's basically, it's basically the celebration of good versus evil. And that's, you will find that general theme in most of, <laughs> most Indian festivals, right? Okay. So, Interesting. Um, and yeah. is it good triumphing over evil or yes. just Yes. Okay. And again, there's a lot of like mythological significance and all of that to um, all of our festivals. So for me, Diwali has always been um, like we would look forward to it. Yeah. Um, And in South India, Diwali goes over like three or four days. And so for South Indians, Diwali is actually the uh, is celebrated the day before the main Diwali that's celebrated in North India. So even there, it's like such a difference, right? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I've married. Um, my husband is a North Indian. So <laughs> add that to the mix, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So our my kids are very, we joke, at least my family jokes that uh, my kids are very confused. They have no idea <laughs> what's going on. But I think it's all good because now they get to celebrate Diwali over three days. And right. it's, all, it's <laughs> always like, like a win to me. <laughs> exactly. It's like good food, new clothes, a lot of, you know, uh, family bonding time. What's not to love about it? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the traditions complement each other. It's not like they're coming completely different, you know, philosophical or faith basis. They're yeah. coming from the same faith and philosophical basis. And then it's just how you celebrate them are a little different. Exactly. How you Mm -hmm. interpret it and celebrate it is a little different. And, you know, again, based on the fact that we have so many gods and goddesses, it's bound to happen that, you know, each each region has its own sort of main deity and then they follow, you know, those customs and rituals. So it's actually, if you think about it, it's quite complex, but it's also very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess that... Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to imagine that even some of that would come down to, for instance, the landscape. Like if you lived near a lot of water, you might have a deity that was more closely related to water. Yes, some of it, you're right. Some of it is related to that. Plus, we have religious um, sites. So certain places have a huge significance in uh, Hinduism. And so, again, those traditions that, you know, the traditions and the celebrations are related to that place. I see. Um, it's like, like the Ganga, right? It's just the holiest river uh, in Hinduism. So the region regions that the Ganga flows through are very religious and very important for um, Hindus. And so that's another, you add that to the mix again. So now you have people going in for pilgrimages. So right. there's, a, there's a whole lot of that going on too. <laughs> okay. Yes. That makes so much sense. Thank you. So how about the people that you grew up? So you said you were in an apartment building. And mm-hmm. probably close to a lot of people <laughs> that weren't yes. even your family. <laughs> but how yes. about in your exact apartment? Who was there with you? So I have a 
small family. It's just mm. me, uh, so mom, dad, and my sister and I. Um, mm. My sister is older. She's eight years older to me. Um, so okay. from, for us on a day-to-day basis, it was just the four of us. Um, so we were very, very close-knit as you can imagine. And again, because I was, I was born after such a long time. <laughs> and yes. my, parents, my parents tried and tried and tried and then gave up and then suddenly I popped along. Oh, well, and I was just <laughs> thinking, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. So you were like that kind of unexpected blessing, like that answer to all those prayers. So you were doted on by them. And I'm thinking also that your sister was old enough that there was no sibling rivalry. You were oh, like a doll to her. <laughs> I mean, maybe not sibling rivalry, but she definitely bossed me around and <laughs> still bosses me around. Um, I mean, I'm, both my parents are no more, so it's just the two of us. So my sister, Usha, her name's Aww. Usha, and she thinks she is like my mom. So, <laughs> I didn't have sibling rivalry. I just had two moms growing up <laughs> because my mom would be semi-lenient. And, you know, my dad, I was very close to my dad, too. So they wouldn't say no. And then my sister would be like, what do you mean? She can go out. She can stay. You know, she can go to a party. I was never allowed to go oh, to a party. <laughs> okay, I see. I see. And I was relatively shy when I was growing up. So I didn't. I had a few friends, but. Uh, my sister was in the same school. So, you know, my mom would be like, why don't you guys go and have lunch um, during lunch break? And my sister hated it because here, you know, you have these teenage girls and they can't talk about teenage girl things because right. there's a kid who's sitting there. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was torture. But she she grudgingly did it and she gave me hell for it. <laughs> Oh, does she live in India or does she live in the U.S. now? She's here in the States. She lives in L.A. You know, we've, she's, because she was so much older, she came to the States for um, master's. And then, you know, so a lot of my teenage years was alone with just my mom because my dad actually um, lived in Malaysia for 20 years. He worked there. Wow. He was just, I mean, we were very average middle class family so for my parents having two girls you know the education the you know the marriage and all of that stuff my dad um, had to take a job in Malaysia and which he loved I mean I think that was the best thing for him he he had a wonderful time there Um, so for a long time it was just my mom and me and I think that's what got us sort of much closer because my sister was out of the house my dad was out of the house it was just mom and me wow yeah (laughs) That's an incredibly close bond. And you were still shy. So you really didn't have a lot of desire to be with someone other than your mom. I've always been much of uh, a lot of an introvert. So Mm. for me, um, but yeah, I mean, my mom was for a lot of my, what you would call impressionable years, it was just my mom and me. And I think that has definitely impacted uh, my life in so many ways in all good ways, because my mom was an incredible person. Mm. Tell me a little bit about that statement. (laughs) So my mom, um, like I said, she's she's the oldest of seven. And so my dad was about 11 years older to her. So she pretty much she got married when she was 21. And she moved, literally moved across the country Mm. to be with my dad. And this is a woman who's never been out of the house she was educated. She had had a master's in math and science. And so for her at that time, I'm talking about the late 50s, early 60s, it was a case where, you know, she was uh, kind of looking at 
not really being a housewife. She wanted to work. She wanted to do things outside of the house. And my dad, bless his heart, encouraged it tremendously. Um, so she, she ended up actually getting a teacher's degree and she taught what she would call the equivalent of high school for okay. um, most of her career. And I think that strengthened my mom to such a degree. I mean, mm -hmm. she didn't know a word of English before she moved to Bombay. Um, everything was in, you know, the local language in, in Chennai. And my dad would be out of the house because he was, you know, working, obviously. And so she had to, you know, not only learn a new language, get adjusted to a new city. She had to kind of think about what she wanted to do with her life. Mm -hmm. So I think when I think back on a lot of those things, I'm amazed at yeah. Uh, how strong yeah. uh, of a person she was. And that strength is something that she took uh, with her every year. And even till her last breath, I, you know, that that's something that she took with her. And I'm, mm. I, I'm, I'm amazed that how can this one woman be such a force of nature? It's unbelievable. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, of course, but I just, <laughs> I know a lot of the stories, so I can say that. <laughs> she sounds amazing to me. Yeah, thank you. Mm. And how about the ways that she kind of showed love and support to you? First of all, she really, she must have depended on you. I can only imagine what a blessing you were to her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we 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 were very close growing up, and mm. and she was, you know, she was a math teacher, a math mm. and science teacher. So let me back up. So education is a huge part of our family. My okay. dad was highly educated, my mom was highly educated, and so is my sister and me. So for us, education um, was a very much a driving force. My parents wanted both the girls to get the best possible education, and hence, you know, we were put in a convent school. My mom was adamant that we would learn English. Did she well, teach in a convent school or what kind of school no, did she, she teach in? She taught in a, she didn't teach at a convent, but she taught in an English medium school. Okay. So, and, and that's, you know, something a lot of times I get asked this question when I say I'm from India, the medium of instruction is English for okay. most of Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, we, English is our, like, even though Hindi is the national language, English is um, a medium yeah. of instruction. So um, she was, you know, she would get up in the morning at five in the morning she would cook she would have you know everything ready for me and you know whenever my dad would be there or my sister would, for the time that she was there she would leave the house and she would be in school by seven and then she would come home at around two get home get you know dinner organized um get all her schoolwork done so it was I don't know how she did it <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I, something tells me at five in the morning, she wasn't making peanut butter and jelly for your lunches. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't even <laughs> know what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was probably when I was in my, my 20s. No, this was a full three-course meal. So she would make like rice and she would make curry and she would make vegetable and then that would be lunch. And then she would make a snack because I would come back home in mm. the afternoon. And then she would do all the prep work for dinner because a lot of times she would have like assignments and, you know, tests and things right. like that that she would kind of uh, correct so this was I mean and she was so efficient um yeah that within an hour and a half I mean she had gotten it down to a science that within an hour and a half she knew what and it was not like yeah. she would make the same thing again and again she would make you know different things and you know my mom's kitchen had two burners and both of them would be on and you know, it's not like at that time we had things like rice cookers and things like that or right. instapots none of those things existed it was all 
basics. You know, it's okay. like she had all these different hats that she would wear during the day. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure she did, but I, when I think back on it, I don't remember her complaining or, you know, saying, you know, I can't do this or, or, or things like that. She would just, she would do it. I mean, we had help and stuff like that, but, um, you know, it's still the bulk of the house was hers. She was yeah. the one managing it. Yeah. So tell me about this chai masala tradition that you had with her. <laughs> so I, I have to close my eyes for this because... Oh, I will too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, remember I talked about how she would get up at five in the morning yeah. and she would cook. And um, I talked about how education was such a big part of our family. My um, my sister is super brilliant. My dad was a mathematician, so he was very brilliant. So for me, studying for my exams or tests or whatever would always happen in the morning for two reasons. One, I that was my internal body clock. Mm-hmm. And two, it was my time with my mom, right? So she would, I would have company. We would actually pull in my study table into the kitchen. And so while my mom was, you know, getting up and cooking and doing all of that, I would be sitting there with her in the kitchen studying. And tea was something that was a wake-up drink because <laughs> okay. otherwise I would just sit on my table and fall asleep <laughs> and, and I think that's why we moved the table to to the kitchen because otherwise she couldn't see me and I would just <laughs> I, I perfected the art of sitting upright and sleeping <laughs> so you know a couple of times I remember mom would be like Halika are you like are you up and I'm like oh what Yes, of course. I'm <laughs> then we kind of moved the table into the kitchen and she would wake me up with tea. And so that would be uh, she would make herself a cup of tea and she would make me a cup of tea. And in India at that time, glass and, and porcelain and all of that was not that common. So we had steel cups. Um, everything in our kitchen, my mom's kitchen was made of steel. So she had these little steel cups with a little... Um, I don't know how to explain this, like a bowl. So a tea, a, a, a glass and a bowl, both made of steel. And you would actually fill up the glass with tea and then you would, um, you would cool it by stirring it in the bowl. So that is what our morning tea ritual was. She would make tea. She would give it to me in a glass with a cup and I would kind of strain it from one to the other to cool it down. And um, she would, because again, being a math and science teacher, when I would study those subjects, she would uh, talk to me about it while cooking. And that was our bonding time because otherwise we, life was busy even for her, right? And the tea would just... I don't know. It was like a never-ending supply of tea to keep me awake. (laughs) Okay. It wasn't just a cup and you were done. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Chai is never a cup. You have to have several cups of chai. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But for me, it was, I mean, chai has such wonderful memories for that reason. And now that she's not there, for me, it's like chai is time with my mom. Even now, when I drink chai in the morning or when I drink chai with my kids uh, there's a flash of memory that comes of you know being in my mom's kitchen of her in her sari cooking and us talking and my little table I still remember my little table um, kind of against the wall and just you know studying and the chai would just replenish itself (laughs) oh it just sounds so ideal and I'm just thinking about it from your mom's perspective you know and 
nobody wants to fight. It's never easy to get up at five, but I can see it was probably easy for her in some ways because she looked forward to that time with you so much. It's like when you have the most precious part of your day, first thing, it makes it so much easier to get up. And I have no doubt that that was the most precious part of her day. Oh, I'm just to spend that time for with you and the quiet and the peace and that feeling of providing for her family. It just seems like such a serene, sweet time. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, I always think about it from my perspective, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was so blessed to have that time, uninterrupted time with my mom Mm -hmm. because before the day got crazy and everybody kind of got, you know, involved with whatever they were doing, that was, that was dedicated time that she could spend with me. And I was looking at it from my perspective. I had her undivided attention for that hour and a half, even though she was cooking and stuff, she was still, you know, talking to me. She was still asking me questions. She would help me out with math. Um, um, but to think about it from her perspective, that it was time time that she spent with her daughter, um, that's oh, beautiful. I, I have no doubt it was the most precious time of her day. Mm, that <laughs> is such a treasure. That's so wonderful that you had that time. Mm. Yeah. And it's, you yeah. know, that's, that's, you know, chai is, the, the drink is always, it always has very special um, meaning for me. Mm. And Karthika, what is chai exactly? So you can go, you know, someplace here in the U.S. and buy a chai drink. But does it mean to us what it means to Indians? Um, Yeah, so chai actually is literally translates to tea, right? So, I mean, you have the British tea um, and you say tea here, but it's actually chai in in India. And I know cha is um, sort of more... um, Middle Eastern, probably. Yeah, it comes from the tea leaf, essentially. Anything that, okay. So when you drank it with your mom in the morning, were you drinking the chai that, you know, we think of here that's very kind of sweet and milky and, you know, aromatic and spiced or was it tea tea you know you know what I mean yeah yeah so so chai is like for the most part I would say 90% in India if you go ask them for chai they will give you tea with milk and sugar so it's basically brewed tea leaves that then get mixed with milk and then sugar Mm. Tea, when you say from a British context, is basically hot water and tea leaves brewed. Um, yes, they do add they do add milk or a dollop of cream, as they say. But I think when you when you say chai, it's always that milky sort of chai. Yeah. Okay, this is really helpful to me. But even though chai just means tea, literally translated for Indians, it's a drink that involves milk and sugar almost yes. always. Yeah, if you go to India and you or like you are um, driving around, or if you go to a restaurant and you say you want chai, so you'll order it as like masala chai or elaichi chai, which is like cardamom chai. You will get tea with milk and sugar. Okay, that I mean mixed all together. You won't get tea, hot water, uh, milk. I mean, if you go to a fancy five, seven star, probably you <laughs> restaurant, probably you'll get it that way. But if you go to the local chai wala, uh, you know, at the street corner, he's going to give you this little tiny cup with this beautiful, fragrant mm. beverage called chai. Mm. Is it brewed altogether? How is it? How is it made? 
So that's where things get very interesting. Okay, yay. Okay, good. <laughs> I think there are probably hundreds of variations of chai in India. Um, every household has a different way of doing it. I know my mother-in-law makes tea very differently than my mother did. And I'd make tea um, sort of a mixture of the two. So f- mm. I'll tell you how I make tea. Okay. Um, uh, so I boil water. And then when the water boils, I will add the tea leaves. Um and are these loose or are they in bags? So I take it loose. Um, okay. But again, there are probably hundreds of varieties of tea as well. Okay. So you have the fine powder tea, you have the loose tea, you have the you know tea where you have all the, you can actually see the tea leaves crushed. So there are many different ways. Um, but I have loose tea. I just feel it's more, um, one, it's eco-friendly. <laughs> I don't like those okay. tea bags. Yeah. And second, I just feel like it's more, for me, it's more aromatic. And then I can I can put those tea leaves in my compost bin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I then add the tea leaves to it, uh, let the water boil, and then I will add. Uh, sometimes I'll add steamed milk. Sometimes I will add just cold milk, and I just give it a little bit of a boil. The moment I see um, a couple of bubbles, I put it off because I like my tea light. Okay. I don't like it thick and milky. Okay. Uh, and are you doing this one cup at a time? Or no, do you do? I make, I make a pot. Like I said, tea okay. is for a true Indian tea never stops with a cup of tea. <laughs> it's the land flowing with milk and tea. <laughs> yes, so it's, it's a never ending pot of tea. Um, okay. And, and that's, that's how it'll be in all social gatherings too. You can never stop with one cup of tea. So, that, so is that, that the first thing that your mom would do when she went in the kitchen in the morning? She'd gather the leaves and put it in the pot and she would make a pot of tea and then she would give me a cup and she would give a cup and then she put it in a flask um, to keep it warm and then she would actually put it in two flasks so one would stay behind if my dad was around or and one she would kind of take with her to school okay and then if you go to other households they do it differently where they will boil the milk add a little bit of water but it's mainly it's mainly milk and then they will add the tea leaves directly to the milk and let it boil and boil and boil and it becomes nice and thick and strong mm. and then they add sugar to it and then that's tea so it just it's so many variations and you have to be very careful when you go <laughs> to india and let them know what kind of tea you want I guess people do develop a strong preference for the way that they were raised with. I mean, they all sound good to me. <laughs> I would be like, give I, me what you got. I love it. <laughs> so I can't, I stopped sugar a long time ago. So I can't oh, have sugar in my tea. And I don't, I hate the taste of the thick milky tea. For me, tea has to be very light so I can drink yeah. more than one cup. So I have no qualms of letting people know, okay, if you know, would you like a cup of tea? Yes, but can you not make it too strong? And can you not right. make it too thick? And I don't yeah. want sugar. Right. And then, and now all of this is different than chai masala. Yes. So masala translates to spice. Yeah. Um, so masala in Hindi is spice in English. So basically what masala chai means is tea with spices. And so spices can be, you know, many different things, right? So you can have the masala chai, which has got black peppers, it has got cinnamon, it's got bay leaves, and it's all crushed together to make the chai masala. Or you could just have chai with just cardamom or ginger, like you know, crushed ginger. So masala, masala tea can mean a lot of different things. But typically, when you say masala chai in India, it's chai with all those chai with chai masala put in. Right, right. And I'm fascinated 
<laughs> that pepper is one of the spices included. Yes, there is a little bit of like heat. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. spicy, but there is a little bit of that heat. And it's very soothing, especially when you have like a bad throat. Yeah. It's just you drink it and you go. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting to me. And of course, part of it has to do with taste. I have a Ghanaian friend. And when she came to the U.S., she, she thought that black pepper was like just for ornamentation. She had <laughs> no idea that people actually considered it spicy. I know, I know. It's just, you know, it's it's fascinating too when you, and that's a whole nother discussion, but even the, the whole journey of spices and how, you know, how different cultures and different countries gravitate towards some spices. Um, when I first came here, for me, American, quote unquote, American food was bland. There was no yeah. spice to it. And I was so used to not heat, but like just flavor you know, flavorful foods. And so for me, putting turmeric and, and coriander and all of that in my food was normal. Yeah. And I was not finding it. I was just getting salt and pepper. And I was like, oh, where is the spice? <laughs> yes. Of all the many, many, many things, it's a wonderful contribution of Indian culture to American culture is just bringing these depths of flavor. Mm. For sure. I mean, I have, like when my mother-in-law comes uh, to visit, she replenishes um, all my spices, like the mixes. Mm. She'll make everything fresh and she'll keep it for me. So I have oh. fresh, fresh garam masala, fresh chai masala. <laughs> I'm what, spoiled. <laughs> yeah, what a gift. Well, then let's go there now. I want to talk about making this spice blend that you gave us to try. So first of all, how important is it to buy these things whole? So for instance, cardamom pods versus powders or cinnamon sticks versus powders. I think it's just a personal preference. I mean, I okay. like to buy it a whole because again, there's some, there's like a little freshness to it. Mm -hmm. So when you're making, you know, when you're making something like chai masala or garam masala, I think if you have it fresh, if you have the the whole, it just adds, a, to me, it just adds much more flavor than yeah. if I were to take it ground. Yeah, uh, That's not to say you cannot. I mean, if you don't have a spice grinder, then you are left with no choice. But it's, I think it's well worth a little bit of extra effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things you won't know what you're missing until you try it. And then there's no going back. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> I, you know, when I first came here, I was 22. 21, 22, and I was in school. And so for me, everything was convenience. So it was the packaged stuff that I would just reheat. I would, you know, the garam masala packet. But now I have a little bit more time. I've, I'm a little bit, bit more seasoned as well <laughs> in my taste. So now I much rather do it fresh. And um, for me, it just tastes better. Okay. Okay. And then people, I suppose, used to use a mortar and pestle. Oh, for sure. I have memories of my mom using a, a mortar and pestle um, to grind, you know, things and to not just spices, but even like chutneys and stuff. Everything was done by hand. It's incredible. It is. And it's just, I feel like it's so much more wholesome. Mm. Just not only do the foods taste better, I just the whole process. I feel like as a cook, you're so much more vested when you're doing it from scratch and, you know, you're, you're putting more thought into mm -hmm. it. Uh, more mm -hmm. sort of love into it. So I think that makes it, I don't know, yummier. <laughs> well, I think the sense of accomplishment and the sense of, um, well, I guess here's the way I would put it. It's almost like, it's almost like it's an offering. 
Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. From yeah. a mother or a wife to her family. Like, I feel yeah. like that's what it was for your mom. And when you put all that effort into it, it's almost like the offering is that much greater. You for know? sure. For sure. I mean, there's there's this whole philosophy that um, what you, like you are what you think and feel. So mm-hmm. when you have good positive thoughts, right? Though that mm. translates to everything that you do. So when you are cooking as well, when you have this feeling of, you know, I'm doing the best I can, I want to, you know, I want this food to nurture my family. There's that positive energy mm. that's kind of being translated to the food versus sometimes we think, oh my God, this is such, and I do this so much. Mm. This is such a chore. I mean, it's like, oh my God, I just want to get it over with. I just want to, you know, slap something on the table and be done with dinner. Yeah, I just feel like there's like, you know, subconsciously, there's that little bit of negative energy that goes through. So, yeah. It, it, well, it, it is interesting. And let's, let's, uh, we're going to come back to making this tea, but I, I, we're just going to go right down this path now because okay. um, you have talked about on your podcast, in your blog, in your emails to me, you don't like to cook. That is not <laughs> something that you inherited from your mom. And I do think that I don't really believe in this thing of like you can cook or not. I think it comes down to if you like it or not. And I think yeah. some people have since the time they were a child. I'm one of those people. Yeah. And there's other people who didn't. Yeah. And then what they start to say is I can't cook. Well, it's really just because they never had that interest to do it. I have a friend who says this all the time <laughs> and she's brilliant yeah. and she's a talented artist. Yeah. And she's always like, oh, I couldn't put that together. Well, of course you could. You just you don't you don't care. And that's yeah. okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm so curious about <laughs> how, one, like how this happened. Was it just not of interest to you? And I'm also curious if that affected your relationship with your mom, you know, and even if it came into conflict with your culture. Okay, so this is the funny story here. Yeah. So my okay. mom actually hated to cook as well. <laughs> oh, so she just my, it was just something she had to do. It was just something she had to do. She was she was very good at it. I mean, she was yeah. You know, yep. she, whatever she made was yummy and delicious, but my mom was never one who would say, "All right, today let's try and make mac and cheese." Just for 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 argument's right. sake, right? She wouldn't. She would be like, "Okay, what shall we have?" and she would be so almost mechanical, methodical, methodical right. about it, and she would churn it out. My mom was an, an adventurer. She would love to go out. She wanted to explore. She wanted, and again, being um, being a teacher, being somebody who was you know managing the house, wearing all these different hats, she was much more interested in doing fun things with us than being in the kitchen making food. Yeah. I remember instances where she would make food, we would sit down and suddenly she'd be like, you know what, let's go out and eat. And I'd be like, yeah, mom, let's go out and eat. So for me, it was just, (laughs) she was my, like, she she was my partner in crime in terms of going out, exploring, doing fun things. And she's very creative. She's a, she's an artist, an amazing artist too. So for, for us, those were other avenues where we would bond we yes. would not necessarily bond in the kitchen over cooking a meal. Yes. No, uh, this explains everything because what you're saying to me is that she loved her family, so she did her duty. But unlike many good cooks, her identity was never tied up in being a cook. No, no absolutely not. If you told, ask my mom, uh, how does she identify herself? She would be like, I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, I'm an artist, I'm a traveler so she would have all these adjectives mm-hmm. and a cook 
not not that it's a bad thing like a housewife would be probably the last thing on her list mm-hmm. um again it's not to say that she wasn't good at it she just had all these other things that she would much rather do mm-hmm. and i think part of that growing up it was my parents never forced my sister or i to enter the kitchen if we didn't yeah. want to I, I probably learned how to cook after I came here to the States. I wouldn't, I, I mean, I could make a cup of tea or coffee or something basic, but it's not like I could make a meal when I was 16 or 18. I just, I was never forced into it. Yeah. And it wasn't something, in a way, it wasn't something she valued. Not really. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, for her, it was, you know, she wanted us to be more well-rounded. She wanted us to experience many different things. And it was, you know, her philosophy was eat so that you can be healthy and you can, you know, kind of do everything else that you want to do. Mm-hmm. It was not like, you know, a love of food. And I say this because my mother-in-law is like the complete opposite. Yeah. She's an incredible cook. She loves to cook. She loves to feed her family. She you know, creates recipes. She, you know, she has that excitement when she gets up in the morning and she's like, all right, what shall we make for for lunch? And I'm like, "Uh, we haven't even had breakfast yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is so interesting to me. And it really confirms this theory that I've always held, which it doesn't come down to good or bad at it. It just comes down if you like it or not. If that's the way you express yourself, if it's your love language or not, if it's the way you express your creativity or not, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And the funny thing is my daughter, she's 14 and she has this um, love for creating in the kitchen. Yep. So she will come in and she will say, today I want to make brownies with, you know, da, 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 da. Or today I want to make avocado gnocchi. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, That's I want amazing. experiment. And I'm like, all right. So so we have this thing between the two of us. She will, you know, again, being both of us are creative, like you said, in different ways. So she will create all these recipes. She will cook and I photograph her. So it's like, that's our way of bonding. <laughs> that's perfect. So yeah, that's that's where my disaffinity, if that was a word, <laughs> to cooking comes in. And so wonderful that you never felt that pressure. Yeah, no, I, and I'm so thankful for um, for both my parents because they never, you know, both my sister and I, we were never forced to do something just because, like you said, it was a cultural thing or just because it was expected of us. It was what is it you want to do? Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm happy for you and I'm happy for your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my my mother-in-law is thrilled to bits that at least there's somebody who can put food on the table. And I'm like, yep. (laughs) Mm. So you brought up photographing your daughter. So tell me a little bit about that journey. The camera journey? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And then also how it led to the podcast. Sure. So um, I actually did not go to school for um, obviously photography. I I have a master's degree in computer science and then I have an MBA. Again, going back to the whole theme of education being a big priority in our lives. I came here for grad school and I actually worked in corporate for about 15 years. And it was fine. I loved, loved, loved what I did. I loved my job. I loved going to school, all of that. But somewhere along the line, you know, I think after my son was born, it just, the camera was just there. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm on maternity leave and I'll kind of take pictures. And something, I don't know, something clicked. Either I had time to invest and I had, you know, that the inclination to do something. I picked up the camera and I started taking pictures. I started, you know, sending it to family because that was the way that we could connect being, you know, so many 8,000 miles away. 
and then people start like my friends started noticing and they were like oh you know can you take pictures for us and you know oh can can we do this and and i started investing my time as well in learning about the technical aspect of photography again having a technical sort of mindset and a background yes. mm-hmm. that came very naturally to me mm-hmm. and then you know i and then i was seeing the result right mm-hmm. i was seeing this this image and i was yeah. like oh wow i created yeah. this and yeah. somebody else is telling me oh wow so then it was yeah. like a switch for me that i could then yeah. say yes both the left and the right side of my brain yeah. actually communicate with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it's, it just sort of grew and grew. And pretty soon I had, you know, I had clients, I had, I was photographing weddings and my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014. And I just couldn't deal with everything. And I had to, I had to go home. I had to be with mom for a bit. And so I quit. And I said, you know, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to, you know, spend some time with her and then I'm going to, look at this thing called entrepreneurship. Uh, I have a, I have an MBA, so might as well make use of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my right. degree, right? And so that kind of morphed into uh, my photography business. And then the whole context of who I was, where I was coming from, where I was living, mm-hmm. uh, started sort of coming up in my brain and sort of, you know, gnawing at me, like, you know, who are you? Are you an Indian? Are you an American? Are you an Indian American? Are you, what are your kids? Like, what nationality are they? What, I kept asking these questions of myself and I kept saying, I want to represent people who sort of ask these questions. Mm-hmm. I can't be the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to learn about different cultures. I want to know, you know, how people live. I want to connect with people. I want to get to know their life story. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't I do this through images? And why don't I do it through stories? And why don't I do it through narratives? Because I have a story and I want to share my story. So I can only imagine somebody else wanting to share their story. So that sort of morphed into what is the podcast and um, the website and, you know, the whole culturally ours concept. Mm -hmm. Well, what you're doing is deeply enriching to many of us. Like I told you, I got completely lost in it. What has it done for you? Has it helped you answer those questions? Oh, for sure. Mm. And more than anything, it has led me to the belief that at the end of the day, we are all the same. Mm. We may look different. We may, uh, you know, kind of speak with a different we may dress differently, we may eat different foods, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the same sort of goals and dreams and aspirations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all want, you know, happy, healthy lives for ourselves, for our kids. We want to, you know, we want to live in a society that is that is welcoming and that we feel safe in. So those sort of basic sort of human desires mm-hmm. don't really change, no matter mm-hmm. where in the world you are. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that today I can send an email or I can send a DM and I can say, I would love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know more about you because I want to learn and I yeah. want to understand because I think understanding brings forth so much of um, yeah. empathy. Yes. Right? And, and yes. we now more than ever, we're all really in this together. What yeah. somebody does in... Japan affects you as much, (laughs) you know, a hundred percent, so many miles Mm -hmm. away. So we can't afford to think about us versus them anymore. There is a human nature. For sure. Yeah. You know, storytelling and narratives have been a part of our existence forever. Right. But I think we've gotten so used to like reading or, you know, looking at images. We sometimes 
fail to understand that listening to somebody's voice is so mm. much more powerful and and this is a struggle that this is the conversation we have at home because again with a with a teenager she's you know texting her friends and i'm like danica just pick up the phone and talk to them you have to talk you have to mm. listen to the person's voice because mm. that voice can communicate so much more than what just words can mm-hmm. right so yeah. I, I i love this this whole medium of podcasting and and the thing is there's also power in the actual conversation because if i read something that you've written mm-hmm. what you've done is you've um you've yeah. told me what you want to tell me you've told yeah. me what you thought to tell me but yeah. there's something about a conversation where I can ask you something or give you some feedback and you can listen without conversation, but I think listening is enhanced, right? Yeah. With good conversation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's give and take, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's the pause, there's the enunciations, there's, I can, like when I close my eyes and I'm imagining you sitting there, I, I can, I'm actually imagining your face. Every mm-hmm. time you say, mm-hmm, I can actually see <laughs> your head nodding. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, let's go ahead and return a little bit, a little bit to the T and I will try not to hold you too much longer, but I, no you problem. came to the U.S. in grad school. Okay. Yes. And did you bring this tea making tradition with you? Tea was always, has always been a part of my life. When I, you know, when I came here, I literally came with like two suitcases. I had clothes, I had a few pots and pans, I had a few spices and, um, I was in grad school, so, you know, I had all these other international students who were friends, and we just sort of got to sharing our cultures and our traditions, Mm -hmm. and tea has, it's it's always been a part of my life. I mean, maybe there are very few days in the month where I don't have tea, and that's just because either I'm traveling or something like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is, that's not something that I can separate out from, like, my existence. I mean, I didn't put that much thought into it. It was just there. Did the U.S. make you at all a coffee drinker? No. So coffee is also a big part of my upbringing because I'm from the south of India. And so in South India, coffee is uh, more common than um, than tea. So oh. you will have, yeah, you will have a strong cup of like what we call filter coffee um, in most parts of South India. So tea, coffee and tea have always been there. It's just that like I said, for me, tea is a little bit more ingrained because of all the memories that it brings. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so are there other things that you value about the tea? So for instance, parts of your website talked about, you know, health benefits or even, you know, spiritual benefits. Not so much the, the whole spiritual, I will say, but definitely the health health aspects of it. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very known thing that spices have a lot of health benefits, right? So, um, so for me, having a cup of uh, masala chai is something that I feel is doing good for me because of the, the pepper that's going in, because of the, you know, ginger that's going in, the cardamom. And sometimes I won't even have the uh, the whole masala and mm-hmm. just, you know, boil the water with a little bit of grated ginger because it's, ginger is very good for sore throat. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. definitely not, I don't have a sort of a spiritual thing to it at all. Okay. 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 Well, staying on this spiritual topic, I, I, w- I would love to... Um, I, I, I'm a, I feel a little awkward bringing this up because I know that we're delving into the realm of stereotypes here, but I also mm-hmm. feel like we, we can only, I mean, we can only educate ourselves by asking the questions, right? For so, sure. For sure. So, so thank you. You know, I feel like one of the biggest stereotypes that I kind of heard growing up, I guess, about Indians is that they don't 
eat cows, that cows are sacred. So mm-hmm. I was surprised that milk was such a common ingredient in tea. Sure. So yeah. definitely um, from a Hinduism perspective, the cow is sacred. And the reason why it is, is because one of our main sort of what we call the supreme godhead mm-hmm. for Hinduism is Krishna. He's like the protector of the whole realm, right? So, And he was actually a cowherd. So the cow was his sort of, one of his beings that he protected. And, you know, he kind of lived as a cow, uh, cow herder when he was uh, down in earth. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it as okay. simple as possible. Okay, so this for, is helpful. For, so for Hindus, the cow is sacred. And for, for the most part, Hindus are vegetarians, for the most yeah. part. Added to that, you have Krishna, who, for whom the cow was you know, so special and so sacred that by default, for Hindus, the cow is very special and sacred. Right. And so any offering that the cow gives is special and sacred. So the the milk that the cow produces and the cow cow gives, the butter, that's the ghee that's made out of that milk is actually an offering to God. So like Mm. my grandmother and my grandmother's mother and stuff like that, they had cattle in the house. And so for any sort of festival, it would be fresh milk. They would make fresh ghee. They would make all the food with that fresh ghee. And that would be the purest form of offering that you could give to God on that festival. I see. You just taught me so much. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So then just one last question about actually making the chai masala. So you've explained how you make the tea. And then at what point do you add your spice blend in? Do you add it when you're making the pot or just into each cup? You know so I, mean? I yeah so I typically add it when I'm uh, when the water is boiling I will add to it it also depends on how strong you want the flavor obviously when you're boiling it with the water the flavor is really really strong okay. versus if you had to just like you finish making your tea and then you just sprinkle the masala shut the lid and just let it steep in it's a little bit milder okay. so it's just what your personal preferences I know if you go to a chaiwala in India, in the street corner, he's going to put it in the water, in the milk, let it boil. And it's that's what gives that fragrance and the aroma. Well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like the, just that warming, such a luxurious oh, yeah. smell it's, and flavor. Sometimes you just hold that cup first mm. thing morning and there's the whole house is quiet nobody's up yet and you just Mm. take in the smell you don't even take a sip you just take in the smell and it just just transports you to a you know that that Mm. time and that place and it's just Mm. everything is right in the world (laughs) Mm. now you've made me excited about getting up tomorrow morning (laughs) is there anything else that you'd like to share about you know this tradition or about your mom or your culture Well, I think, you know, and it's not just for my culture. I think it's sort of any culture. And I absolutely love what you're doing, Becky, because you're so right in that food is such a wonderful way to connect with cultures and with people and with their stories. Um, I would just say that whoever, you know, whoever listens to these sort of narratives, just go with an open mind because Mm -hmm. It's so much more than just the physical act of making chai. So all these sort of things have so much more significance than the actual 
physical thing. <laughs> yeah. So just listen to it with an open mind and just, you know, kind of appreciate all these different narratives. I think mm-hmm. that's all I want to say. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I would love for you to give people all the different ways that they can connect with you, your photography, your podcast, your website, all of it. Sure. Sure. So my photography is actually under my name. So Kartika Gupta. So if you go to kartikagupta.com, pretty much on all social channels, that's what it is. And the Culturally Ours website is uh, and podcast is also by its name. So culturallyours.com. And then we are, you can find the podcast anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. So on iTunes and all the other sort of normal channels. Um, And also on social media is Culturally Ours. And, And, you know, if any of your listeners wants to kind of drop in a note, say hello. I love, love, love uh, connecting with people and just, you know, kind of hearing from them and their stories. So feel yeah. free to contact, um, contact me and I would love to chat with them. Yes. Thank you so much, Karthika. Thank you so much, Becky. This was amazing. All right. Thank you so thank much. You so much, Becky. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again to Karthika. I do hope you'll find her podcast and website and get lost in them as I did. As always, Karthika's information, as well as her recipe for this warming, calming, aromatic chai masala is on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. On a personal note, this is a critical month for my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please take a moment to subscribe? Maybe even listen to another episode, share a favorite with your friends or family or on social media, or finally, leave a review. Everything helps. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support as we grow this community together. You can always reach out to me at Becky at thestoriedrecipe.com or on Instagram at thestoriedrecipe underscore podcast. I love to hear from you. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.